You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Today on Max's Island, I've got Cam Britt. Cam's the CEO at the South Fremantle Football Club, and which is pretty dear to me because I've been a lifelong supporter of this club. So to be down here in the Victoria Grandstand near the hallowed turf is pretty special to me. So welcome to Max's Island, Cam. Thanks, Tony. Pleasure to be here. Now, Cam, I know that uh, you've had a bit of a journey to get here, and interestingly, uh, we're recording this at a time when you've been in this position for about eight months and you haven't presided over a game of football. So perhaps you can tell us about how you got to be administrator in the sporting area and what brought you to WA and eventually to South Fremantle. You're, uh, you're very correct there, Tony. I'm, I'm currently uh, quite a novelty factor within the, the waffle and within the, I guess, the leadership ranks of of WA football because um, yes I haven't presided over a game of football yet despite commencing in the role of CEO of South Fremantle Football Club last November. Most listeners would, would recognise that's due to the pandemic and the, the postponement of the waffle season um, but thrilled to see that we'll be, we'll be back out and at it very shortly as of July 18. And a 35-year-old Victorian running a waffle club, so there's there's probably some additional novelty factor there as well, which uh, I think I get a little bit of a ribbing for, but I wear it as a badge of honour and I accept the uh, I accept the challenge. But look, my path to this role and and WA is I, I guess an interesting one, and and I guess why we're having a bit of a chat on Max's Island podcast. But as I mentioned, uh, a Victorian boy who fell in love with a West Australian girl, essentially, and moved moved to WA in, in 2015. I've, I've always had a, a real passion for sport, playing sport, um, football, basketball, uh, snow skiing, being Victorian, of course, uh, did athletics at, at school, and now uh, uh, trying my hand at golf with limited success, but love sport and always involved in a lot of sport as a young person and recognise that that was a career path that, that was of interest and, and the fact that you could perhaps be paid to work in sport was something that was extremely um, interesting for me and, and desirable. And uh, I think when I was growing up, I couldn't tell you that the year, maybe 96, 7 range when the movie 
Jerry Maguire came out, the American sports agent. Uh, that captivated me, that world, and I had some, uh, I guess, some real intentions of perhaps being a, a, a player agent or, or player manager, I guess, as we call it in Australia, Australian market, and pursued post-high school a degree in Bachelor of Business Sports Management at La Trobe University. So I was convinced I was going to be Jerry Maguire, Australia's version, but Probably as that course went on, I recognised that tending to all the needs of jocks was probably not something that I you know, thought would be a career path that I would find completely fulfilling. So I moved back or, or away from the, the player-manager piece and skill set to more sports administration, so working in sports clubs and, and, uh, and the management of, of sport and sports brands. So that was my undergraduate degree. And my first job was working for a, a, a sports program for a charity. It was called Good Sports, and we're working with sporting clubs all uh, all across the country, ensuring that environments were healthy, family-friendly, safe, and using, uh, I guess, using alcohol responsibly and ensuring that clubs uh, set themselves up to be sustainable and environments that where people are places where people want to be. And when did you get into the football arena? So following that role with Good Sports, I was there for about seven, eight years in the end, and then I got a great opportunity and probably, a, a, I guess you'd call it career-defining, uh, the phrase that I then moved to the Essendon Football Club uh, in the role of community manager. So that, uh, that, that role was terrific. So I, I came into the Essendon Bombers around 2012. Uh, Were they out at Tullamarine by then? They weren't. So uh, I, had, I had about 50-50 share of tenure at Windy Hill and then and then the Melbourne Airport Tullamarine precinct. Um, so that was terrific going to Windy Hill and just immersing myself in the, the history and the success and and uh, and everything that you know the bombers represented and, and running a, a team of staff and having a, a really diverse and wide portfolio of programs in the community, getting away to places like the Tiwi Islands and 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 helping to fund the Tiwi bombers, working on fixtures like Anzac Day, Dream Time. Sort of like a, a, for, for all the reasons I said I love sport, it, it really was a kid in a candy store. That would have been some experience going to the Tiwi Islands. You know, there's great heritage, obviously, not only at Essendon, but certainly in South Fremantle here as well. Um, we've, we've had some great players from that region. So that must have been an experience to see that raw talent, you know, in person. It was, yeah. Look, I, I knew a little bit about the Tiwi Islands and just the fact that there's such a rich pedigree of, of footballers there and that, that Essendon and particularly I think the efforts of Kevin Sheedy were, were pioneers in in identifying the, the rich talent that, that is up in the Northern Territory in particular the Tiwi Islands and and look it was great just to, to head up there it would always take players and as I said the Essendon Football Club helped financially support the Tiwi Bombers who play in the NTFL so would go up there and, and, and um, spend some time in the community and see some carnival football, but particularly probably the highlight was the local Tiwi Islands Grand Final, which is, is, uh, is pure football at its best and needs to be seen to be believed. So your time at Essendon, part at Windy Hill and, and part at Tullamarine, um, that's a pretty impressive setup they've got out at Tullamarine. Yeah, it's terrific setup, and I had some involvement. I was on a, a subcommittee around the relocation and certainly uh, came to recognise the enormity of that move. But, um, yeah, went went out to a, a greenfield site just right near uh, Tullamarine Airport, 
for those familiar flying into Melbourne. And, and at the time, I think it's probably been replicated since, but at the time, the High Performance Centre uh, had, a, had a really large or still has a, a really large significant indoor training centre, but plus two ovals, one the dimensions of the MCG and one the dimensions of what's now called Marvel Stadium. And that was to provide, I guess, the highest performance environment and opportunity to train and, uh, and prepare match simulation on, on the two different ovals that Essen will play on most regularly. So just uh, a little bit off on a tangent, I'm always interested in um, personal experience. Being amongst elite athletes, is there one particular athlete playing for Essendon at the time, in, in your time there, that stood out for his application, his approach, preparation, and that was you know, reflected on the field? Yeah, I think, I think there's probably, probably a few, but the one that always stood out for me, and, and when people ask that question, I guess, um, it's, it's probably a bit of a popular question, you know, what are the players like and what the coaches like? But for me, I think the, the athlete I admired most during my time there was Dyson Heppel. Clearly a, a, a wonderful footballer and a standout talent and was, was earmarked for a leadership role at Essendon very early on because he was such a such a, um, a good character and a hard worker. But for me, heading up the community department, saw a lot of these guys, I guess, not in their natural habitat, which is on field, but more so out in the community working with schools, programs, um, public relations. And, and Dyson was, was just tremendous. I think a bit, bit of his nature, a laconic you know, country kid, I think Lee and Gatha, country Victoria, but, you know, he, he was a guy who was happy, you know, playing with kids as much as he would be, you know, sitting on the footy show and with the bright, you know, studio lights on him. So just really, really great to work with, a, a real, you know, quality person and I guess a great ambassador for the footy club that I really enjoyed working with. So your time at Essendon finished up and then is that when you came to Perth? That's right, yeah. So I, uh, I actually resigned from my, my role, which was head of community at that point, which would have been uh, six staff, about a million dollar community budget. So you can see the size and scale of AFL clubs and Essendon, you know, real pioneers in the community space and, and walk the talk, as well as directorship on the long walk. I, I resigned from that, uh, Michael Long's charity, at the same time to, yeah, to relocate to Western Australia. My then fiance, now wife, decided that uh, we we would move back to WA. No, it was a, it was a co-decision. Um, we had some some stuff happening with family and and some poor health with Carly's mother uh, at the time. She's fine now, but so we we made a, the concerted decision to to move over. So sold our apartment, sold cars, um, you know, quit jobs, the the whole bit and um, threw everything in a, I think, a shipping container and, and then flew over and welcomed to Western Australia for camp. And did you have uh, any work lined up at the time? I didn't, no. So we are happy, happy, I guess, earlier on to just go with the flow, particularly for me, a boy from Melbourne, just to understand you know, WA and Perth and get, get used to it and be a bit of a tourist. And that was very lovely. This was around mid-2015. But probably walked into a, a reasonably challenging employment market too. It was just when they'd been, and, and I was originally thinking I, I might deviate from sport at the time and, and, and look at my community credentials, perhaps in, in a resource or an ONG company. But um, it was a time when uh, there was some real consolidation across those industries and it was very thin in terms of, uh, in terms of roles. But 
didn't deter me or, or necessarily concern me, at least earlier on, because I signed up at the Mosman Park Golf Club. So I was enjoying this uh, new relationship with this, this sport, Tony, uh, which I know you love, called golf. Yeah, and I, I need to mention, before I forget, the um, and, and you aren't a member there now because of family commitments, but I do recall the very last game you played as a member, a fully-fledged member, you got a hole-in-one, your first hole-in-one. I did, yeah. Not, uh, not, not something I'll ever forget. Uh, obvious comment. I, uh, yeah, decided it was the 30th of March, 2019. It was the par three 12th, 148 meters. Slight breeze over the shoulder. Hit a nine iron in. Two bounces and it rolled in. That's all very self-indulgent. But most importantly, it was my last round. Memorable for that reason because uh, had a had a new bub in the house born December 2018 and uh, working in sport quite challenging to to uh, go out on a Saturday and, and play golf and so yeah had to uh, had to uh, let the, the membership lapse and was determined to have a memorable final round or final fully fledged competition round as a member but yeah that that surpassed what I was expecting yes I remember that day well because I got a free beer off you so <laughs> <laughs> So at the time, then you um, were still looking for work, but you, you found work within the sporting industry? That's right, yeah. So um, about six months into our, or my new WA life and relocation, I thought it's probably time to get something going. I'd been watching a fair bit of Judge Judy and a lot of Bold and the Beautiful, and, and I thought um, I'm probably spinning my wheels a little bit now, as much as I like getting up and playing Wednesday golf and Thursday, Friday, Saturday golf. So uh, engaged a recruiter, a recruitment firm, and they actually spoke to me about our CEO role in sport, but it was with a, a basketball club called Wanneroo Basketball Association uh, up in Joondalup. And it was probably something that was a curiosity to me. Loved basketball, played a lot of basketball as a young, young person and thought, well, you know, I love sports. So went through the process and, and then commenced there. So the role was... For the association as well as the elite team? That's right. So it was a CEO role of the association, the way basketball works, um, particularly in WA, the, the Wanneroo Basketball Association looks after, I guess it's it's district or it's community. So there, there was at the time seven junior basketball clubs that fed into the association, but we also had uh, sub-elite teams in the state basketball league, a, a men's team called the June Lutt Wolves and a women's team. And yeah, it was it was across, I guess, CEO of the whole st- strategy of the organisation, but also that SBL was in my portfolio, I guess, given my elite sporting club exposure. And what was the your experience um, in, in basketball and in, in particular, how well uh, developed is the is the administration around basketball in WA? I really enjoyed the the initial challenge of that role. When I came in, uh, a husband and wife team had, had actually administered that club for about 30 years. So had had done an amazing job. We're at the, the age of retirement. We're probably getting a bit tired. I think they would, they would recognise themselves. And it was time for some change and, and innovation. So... There was a real, I guess, remit and platform for me to come in and consider some some real changes around brand and operations, plus what was, I guess, the ultimate carrot for me 
which was there was $14 million funding committed to build a new stadium at HBF Arena. So I dived headfirst into that project with state government and, and a range of stakeholders. And you saw that project through to the, to the end? I did, yeah. So uh, we would have been in the, the HBF Arena, so the Wolf Stadium there for probably a year and a half, nearly two years uh, by the time I, I left that role. And it's just a, a wonderful facility up there in Joondalup. State government via Venues West managed and, and we're a key tenant. And the West Perth Football Club, which is a, a link to my new world here, uh, are next door. So I guess that gets us down to, to Fremantle. How did you make the switch from basketball to football or back to football? So I, about four years I'd been CEO of the Wolves and, and look, loved every minute of it. Good people, fantastic colleagues, really successful organisation, high performing, had a lot of growth, probably doubled membership over that four years with basketball absolutely booming and and the I guess the the consistency of success of the Wildcats here, the proliferation of Australians joining NBA teams and, and putting up good performances. So so basketball was undergoing a real renaissance and I think we we kind of rode that wave and, and took advantage. However, I live locally to Fremantle in, in Palmyra, so the four-year drive to Joondalup and, and back was, was starting to probably take a toll, particularly with a young baby at home and, and late-night meetings working in sport and long long weekends, evenings for, for basketball, so late nights, and just thought probably now was a time for a change. We'd also played in four straight state basketball league men's grand finals and lost them all and, and not that I was shooting the ball felt like I'd probably done my best there under my leadership to position the club for success and now it's time for someone else and then it certainly helped that uh, the great Tom Bottrell left the CEO post here at South Fremantle and headed to the football commission which created an opening. So that allowed you to come down to what I'll call the most famous football club in the Waffle. Uh, as I said before, it's uh, been dear to my heart for my entire life. When you came here, and I'm not sure if you'd been uh, around Fremantle Oval uh, at any time uh, in your time in WA, but what was the initial impact or the initial impression you got when you walked in, into the gates? My initial impression coming to South Fremantle was just, a, uh, I, I guess, a sense of such privilege to have been appointed into the role but also a, a, such a sense of responsibility and a responsibility for I guess being a, a custodian as the CEO to to guide the football club into into this year which is our 120th year which you know we weren't we weren't didn't know what was to come clearly but nor did anyone but just the the rich history and the the success and the pride of of those who have come before and and what the South Fremantle Football Club means to so many people too. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it was overwhelming, but it, it, it was very clear to me that you know I had a job to do and, and I need to work very, very hard to ensure my time in this club is used to maximum effect and, and hopefully we achieve some, some wonderful things because the club and fans deserve that. Yeah, certainly uh, we're, we're ready for some, some more on-field success. I think, uh, as you rightfully point out, we're in a very successful club and uh, we don't go, like going too long a period without winning the cup. So since you've been here at the club, you've probably experienced uh, a lot of the, the history and, and a lot of the heritage and, and probably met a few interesting characters. 
I have, yeah. I guess not as many as you'd think because we haven't actually had football per se uh, with the season postponement. I guess the cut and thrust of in-season and game days and, and functions and hospitalities where you really rub shoulders with, with the members and, and that's something I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing actually. But I've certainly you know, met some of the, some of the power brokers here and, and, and not all of them are necessarily on the board. But I've, um, I've been really encouraged, I guess, by the support uh, that I'm receiving and you know I'm I'm sitting uh, with no losses right now no no wins but no games but certainly sitting with a uh, a no loss record is is helpful probably but um, yeah look it's it is um, it is terrific to, to be in the role and and really I've something of a clean skin again coming from Victoria and not necessarily having any even historical of course um, relationship with waffle um, my wife and, and her family do obviously and and Unfortunately, that they wear blue and white in their colours, or they used to, until their son-in-law became CEO here. But just, just understanding the history and and what waffle clubs mean, and and what we can all do to hopefully preserve, but also I guess project that history towards ensuring that waffle clubs are sustainable and and continue to be places that are a real connection point and social importance and hub for the community. I think that's a collective challenge for the game right now. That's always been a challenge uh, for the Waffle teams since the Eagles first came in and obviously then Fremantle. But I think you rightfully point out the, the, the heritage and passion and, and, and this club means so much to so many people. Uh, I think there's, there is still opportunity for Waffle clubs to have significant relevance in the sporting landscape. How have you gone with membership this year, considering that we haven't played a game yet? Membership this year has been incredible, I must say. Uh, yeah, we haven't played a, a game and we've had the season or, or a large chunk of the season taken away from us for obvious reasons. But we, uh, we haven't stopped communicating with our fans and, and I guess more importantly, our fans haven't stopped communicating with us as the football club, just how important we mean to them and I guess how much they're, they're missing that, that part of their life or that part of their winter you know, routine of coming to the football and supporting the football. So, you know, remarkably, we have a, a decade-long membership record this year, Tony, where we're, uh, we're knocking on the door of about 1,900 financial members. And in the next couple of days, we'll be rolling out a, a, a sort of final push campaign to, to the first round uh, to, to achieve 2,000 members. And I know we're, we're probably a bit conditioned to the Eagles having 60,000 members and maybe Fremantle 45, but... A 2,000 financial member figure at waffle level is is an achievement that we're proud of because uh, I guess the current trend line unfortunately has been a decline in membership and, an, and a diminishing association from fans with waffle clubs. But we're pretty proud that we've bucked that trend and it's shown us very clearly how important our club still is to its fans and its community. And, and uh, we're more encouraged and motivated than ever to ensure that we make people proud. That's a really good result and uh, certainly uh, is an achievement that uh, you should be proud of so early on in your tenure here, but also the club's point of view that there's a strong connection with, with community and there are people that want to belong to the, this club. So let's just finish on the season that is going to come. What's it looking like in terms of rounds and what are any particular challenges outside of the usual things around social distancing and the amount of people that are allowed in the in the club rooms but from a logistics point of view is there anything else that is 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 a real challenge it's been a really 
interesting time and I know it has for everyone but just my my personal reflection that uh, there's been so much uncertainty through the season and such uh, an evolution and and such fast moving information on on COVID but feeling a little more settled right now because we do have a line of sight and official season commencement date being Saturday July 18. We've had a, a an amazing outcome over the last 24 hours really that we, uh, we've been fixtured South Fremantle to play East Fremantle here at Fremantle Community Bank Oval on Saturday, July 18. So a return of a Fremantle Derby. And, uh, and we have clear air that Saturday with the two West Australian AFL teams playing the following day as a Sunday twilight, July 19. So I'm, I'm really excited and, and I know our fans are really excited by the prospect of perhaps, uh, perhaps having a, a, um, a game that could almost uh, reflect yesteryear and a, and a significant crowd, circa perhaps 10,000 people in Fremantle uh, supporting both South and East, but more so I think supporting local waffle football in, in WA. And I think the game needs that shot in the arm. Silver linings are an interesting thing and, and I, I'm quite careful to use the word silver lining because it has been a, a health crisis and, and people have been unwell or died. But in our circumstance here, the fact that something's been taken away in the form of football for a large portion of the community, we're seeing a real surge in demand and it might just be the prompter for people to reflect and realise how important community connection and, and local footy like Waffle is to them and we're certainly here to ensure that hopefully they have a wonderful experience. Yeah, I think you're spot on there and, and it's a great opportunity to... Um access the sport you know there's a lot of people that can't access the sport through AFL in terms of a live viewing and to be able to come down and get really close to the action you know Fremantle Oval you can stand right near the, the fence and, and literally be metres away from the action is an experience that I think everybody should um, appreciate and I'm, I'm sure that uh, you'll get those numbers down here on that day because we have been starved for some action. Certainly have and, and I encourage everyone to come to that game we're, we're live and local and the city of Fremantle has uh, has had a, a, a torrid time during the pandemic. Uh, it's been really, really tough. So we hope that perhaps this will be a bit of a shot in the arm for the whole of Fremantle. We can do our little leadership part as the, as the local football club and um, perhaps we'll help uh, launch a bit of a return to normality. Well, Cam, thanks very much for joining us on Max's Island. It's uh, a pleasure to, to be in these... Uh, very famous rooms. It's uh, great to have you uh, on Max's Island. Thanks for sharing your journey with our listeners. You're very welcome. Thank you. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur. Oh, work and no play And how, how it had turned out this way He told me his plan A short-term escape Five weeks on the Bibbulmun track Go it alone, no one to blame If he finished or fell by the way
Every sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone and nothing. 